0: You're listening to B2B Nation, a podcast from Technology Advice designed to help marketers navigate the modern B2B buyer's journey. Here's your host, Mike Pastor. The year 2019 found Ike Sinkahal and his team at Social 27 rethinking online events as they knew them. Little did they know the extent to which their product would be in demand just a few months later. With inbound inquiries through the roof early in 2020 because of the pandemic, even Ike, as Social27's CEO, found himself giving demos for more than 12 hours straight on some days. I'm Mike Pastor from Technology Advice. Today, the team at Social27 faces a new challenge. Actually, several challenges. How do you convince those planning online and hybrid events that they're operating in a new world with new expectations? How do you convince loyal, in-person event attendees that their events will likely have some online component from here on out? And how do you help customers make events stand out when the supply and demand of events is at its extremes? In this episode of B2B Nation, we talk to Ike about marketing in a world where you wake up one day and everyone needs your product, about how marketers and event planners need to consider personalization instead of massive events, and whether or not online event fatigue is just an excuse for poor quality content. Ike Singh Kahal, welcome to B2B Nation. Why don't you take a minute and tell us who you are and what you do?
1: Thank you so much, Michael, for having me on B2B Nation. Um, so I am the CEO and co-founder of Social27. Uh, we are a virtual and hybrid events company. Uh, been doing this for a few years. Uh, used to be at Microsoft before this uh, in worldwide partner marketing. Um, so kind of traveled the world doing events pretty much two weeks out of four every month for years and uh, discovered a lot of things which could be done better. And so we kind of built this platform which was primarily focused on hybrid events, um, but certainly in the last year and a half has been mostly virtual events. Um, so that's the world I live in, yeah.
0: So if we go back to early 2020, there were a number of technologies out there that suddenly became very popular and that mm-hmm. would include tools like remote access, Mm -hmm. communications and collaboration tools, and of course, virtual event platforms like yours. So how did that change the way that Social 27 handled its demand gen and its marketing and Mm -hmm. all that stuff?
1: Certainly. So I think for us, uh, 2019 was the year we kind of went back to the drawing board on our side to really think about the next gen of events uh, from a technology perspective. And so early 2020 is when we came into market with our latest version of our product. And as you know, immediately COVID came along. So for us, uh, it certainly was a big need from our customers that emerged because of that. Um, We had existing customers, but then we also got a lot of new customer inbound suddenly because people were looking for platforms and again we've been around for a little while so our name popped up but essentially it was a lot of inbound um that was a big surge in inbound right in the beginning of of covid um but then obviously a lot more platforms came into the market this was a very lucrative space uh, and became very very crowded very fast a lot of people pivoted you know a little bit you know added a few things to their app and kind of started calling it virtual events. So the point is, um, in the beginning, yes, massive surge in inbound. I had myself and my VP of sales and one more salesperson. So with three of us, I was doing demos from like five o'clock in the morning till 6 p.m. every day, six days a week. That was my world, um, which wasn't bad. I got to learn a lot about what the customer wanted. But the problem that we were having was that the customer didn't know what they want in the beginning, at least. Because they were like, I have no idea about this stuff. You know, I mean, never done this. You know, I've just been doing like regular events and like, I have no idea where to start. And in most cases, what people were doing was they were just slapping their um, in-person agendas onto online, right? Well, this is how we do it in person. We have three days, we have five, you know, tracks going on, you know, all the same time. So we had the exact same thing online. I was like, well, that's not how it works. But anyways, so yeah, a lot of the stuff was like that. So it was... It was a mad rush in the beginning. Uh, for us, it was not, we had a lot of business coming our way, but also for us, it was very important to, to choose the right customers because uh, we have a certain ideal customer that we can serve well with our platform. Um, so it wasn't just about, well, let everybody come in. Um, we can scale from a technology perspective, but a lot of these people also needed help from a person perspective because they didn't know what they were doing. So, but, you know you know how it is, you cannot scale personnel that fast. We went from a 25% company to a 200% company in a matter of three months, You know, but that was a whole different ball game. But the point is that I think massive inbound, uh, but then us being able to make sure that we are giving the, the, the customers the right service levels uh, so that we don't disappoint them because sometimes when you take on too much business, you might just crash and burn. Um, you know, so that was a very thin balance, you know, between being able to do the right thing and yes, had to refuse business um, after a certain time. That was the first phase post, uh, during COVID. The second phase was, as I mentioned earlier, massive amount of new players who just emerged out of nowhere. The market got very crowded. The customer didn't know who was the better technology versus not. It all seems the same. That's what I heard from a lot of people. So then then it was more about education. Then we came more to traditional uh, sales and marketing, uh, where it was all about educating on my audience about how to choose the right platform. What are the things you should think about, not think about? Um, a lot of our customers are in the upper mid market and the enterprise space, you know, so then obviously um, my sales cycles were 30 days during when COVID just started. And this is big, massive uh, corporations, which normally take six months to do their thing. I mean, the, the CMO would be on the first call, right? I mean, that was like dream world. It's like, really? Wow, that's awesome. And they would sign a contract within 10 days. We're like, wow, great. So the point is, that was La La Land. Obviously, it doesn't exist anymore. And then, you know, we came to the, you know, to uh, uh, Mother Earth. And then it's now, it's the average state cycle is not same four to six month range. Um, you know, lots of procurement people involved, uh, you know, RFPs and so forth. So, yeah, um, had a bit of La La Land. And then... Uh, back to earth. Yeah.
0: I think one thing we've heard from different vendors and that we've seen across the tech space is a lot of people you talked about the sales cycle and how accelerated it was. A lot of people had to make decisions, whether it was events or remote access or whatever it was they needed Mm -hmm. to support remote workers. This will do the job. Let me sign the paperwork and get it taken care of. And now, unfortunately months and months and months later, you start looking at people who are taking the long view. Um, so, Absolutely. do you see that? Do you see people who are like, "Well, we, you know, we got this platform; it met our immediate needs, but now we need to think strategically." Mm-hmm. Is that going on in your space? Very much
1: so, Michael. Uh, I think October onwards, it already started last year. So, um, you know, before that, we were fine with just doing like one-off, you know, contracts, one-off event three month contract, that kind of stuff. October, 2020 is when we again started, you know doing our annual contracts and believe me our customers were absolutely fine with that because especially when it comes to events there's a lot of uh, customer data that is being, you know uh, recorded, you know, a lot of customer interactions being recorded, especially our platform is very data centric. And so the procurement had to be involved. Because, you know, like, are we, you know, saving the data in the right place? You know, are we, uh, you know, making sure that everything is, you know, compliant from a GDPR perspective? I mean, you name it, right? So that was the whole thing. So the point was for us was like, look, you know, then that RFP cycle started, right? Which was like, it's going to be four to six months, depending on how big the customer was, right? So it's kind of, that's really the world that we lived in since October onwards. Um, I think there's two parts to... um, the kind of audiences we, we, we met with. One was the audience who was using this whole digital disruption as a stopgap, which was like, well, you know what? This is the COVID world. That's how we're going to live right now. And then you're going to go back to how it was before. That's what a lot of people thought. And yes, there is customers who still kind of think that way. Um, you know. But a majority of our customers have realized very clearly that this is not just digital transformation. This is digital disruption that has happened. This was inevitable it just happened in a more accelerated fashion. The digital transformation that was supposed to happen in five years happened in five months, but that's but that's already happened now. I don't know much people who would go back to doing in-person meetings as their first meet. You know, it's more about, you know, let's meet on Zoom. Let's meet on Microsoft Teams, you know, and then if we really get along and, you know, we want to sign a deal, maybe we even sign the deal through, you know, DocuSign and then we meet up for lunch after that. Like that's the new world we're living in, right? So... I think a lot of my customers have realized that um, and also they see the scale and the amount of data being collected. It was impossible for this amount of data to be collected in most in-person event environments in the past. All you would get essentially was a an email address, right? I mean, and then as a, soon as a person walks into the event, they're in a black hole. You have no idea what they did in there versus when a, when you have a virtual or a hybrid event environment, you have so much uh, data on them in terms of intent signals, which you can really kind of pull together and then start recommending people, you know, sessions, content, even solutions to them that are relevant to them. Uh, and it becomes a much more richer experience and adds more value to their the time that they're spending.
0: Is that resonating with a lot of your customers and prospects? Because I think every industry, right, has at least one big trade show. And it kind of dominates their year, their calendar, their marketing, their sales team. Everyone's going to go to this event. People, you kind of alluded to this. You said some people understand that's changed forever. Some people haven't. Um, But what's the reception been from your clients? Are they looking at, we should have been doing this all along?
1: (laughs) I think um, yes and no. Uh, So yes, I think people would have wanted to do this all along if the technology was there. So I think the, again, the first time we, I launched a virtual events platform was in 2012, a long time ago, it was a little early uh, because the point was streaming was still pretty expensive at that time, you know, and also the fact that no, like everyone did not have a camera. Now everyone's got a camera. Okay, so the point is like, this is just the perfect tipping point, right? So, I mean, yes, it would have been amazing to have a lot of these things in the past, but the technologies wasn't there. So that's the first thing, right? So no, this is the right time. The second question around that is the whole like, well, that big industry conference and/or big industry conferences that happen most, you know, uh, most industries. So the way we are thinking about hybrid events is, I'm not saying that in person will go away. I don't think it ever should. Human beings have a tendency since the cave times. You know, that whenever there's a fire, we want to go around and dance around it. I mean, it's just how we've always been doing it. You know, when there was a birthday party in your neighborhood and you weren't invited when you were a kid, like that was the saddest day of your life. I mean, you know, it's just who we are. So we will collect together. We will, you know, shake hands and, you know, talk about stuff and, you know, break bread together. But the bottom line is, if we are going to be putting so much money and effort and time into something, I really want the ROI on that, right? So 5% of the audience at an event, I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm just, Uh, let's say minority people, uh, the percentage of an event are the ones who actually have the right experience. What is the right experience? They have, they go to the keynotes, they have a bunch of side meetings already set up with important people. They come out of there, you know, with sometimes a couple of deals signed and then they go for lunches and dinners with important people where, you know, it's the right, the right audience, the relevant people, they make the best use of their time and they fly out. But this takes a 15, 20-person team that is doing this for this, you know, big VP of a big company. 95% of the people who come to an event bring as many business cards as they can and they just spray and trade, right? This is like anybody in the line, hey man, what do you guys do? Oh, well, blah, blah. Oh, really? Okay, give me your card. So that's really it. 95% of the audience goes and sits on uncomfortable chairs from nine to five, uh, you know, and eats bad food and, you know, hopes that they'll get at least one good lead right? That's the reality. The point is why should the majority of the audience have such a bad experience? Uh, a lot of them forget the bad experience because they have some of those, you know, cheaper alcohol drinks later on in the night and they forget what happened. You know, it's kind of like spring break for adults, you know. Uh, but anyway, yeah. so...
0: I talked about that at one of the previous episodes. When you look at where most of these events are held in Vegas, in yeah. Florida... Yeah. It's I'm going to do a vacation and get a little work. (laughs) Exactly. So (laughs) so people don't mind what happens there. So the
1: ROI is like, yeah, man, I had a good time. You know, so the point is, um, we believe very clearly that the pre-event stage is the stage where the virtual component has to be very active. So it doesn't matter if you're going to be going to the event in person or not. Like this is the time, you know, where all the in-person people, all the virtual people collect together and you watch all that 100 and 200 level content. Right, you don't need to sit, you know, in an uncomfortable chair for an hour looking at PowerPoint. Get that all done before the event itself so that everybody's fired up, you know, has all that you know spark in their mind about this whole subject area. They already are networking with people online, they're choosing the people they want to actually meet with in person. They already set up their agendas for which sessions they're going to go to. And most importantly, when they're in person, they're rolling up their sleeves and getting deeper into the content with an expert versus just. 500 people looking at a PowerPoint, right? So those, so like doing more. So all the, uh, you know, all the initial intro stuff taken care of in the pre-event stage. Uh, And that also saves a bunch of money for the event owner because they don't have to rent out a bunch of rooms for just PowerPoint stuff all morning, right? So, um, and during event, now they're having that VIP experience. They've already got, they know who they want to talk to in the expo hall because they've already seen the demos, They're doing side meetings at this stage. They're like, hey, man, I'm going to bring my engineers. You bring your engineers. Let's talk about this stuff, right? So that moves the needle forward versus events are the beginning of the funnel. No, no, no. The pre-event should be the beginning of the funnel. The actual event should be already three stages into the customer journey kind of thing, right?
0: I was reading an opinion recently that was saying that hybrid is perhaps a poor label for these mm. events with sort of an online and in person component that the idea of a hybrid event is well i can look at some sessions in person and maybe look at some sessions online uh, you know spend one day instead of three and catch the rest online mm. labels are tricky how do you yeah. like you you just laid out a whole different view of events right than most people mm. get so how do you turn around and, and tell your customers and prospects I know the way you've been doing it for 20, yeah. 25 years. This yeah. is what we think you should do.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I, I compare this to e-commerce uh, in the beginning. Everybody was like, no way I'm going to buy a shirt online, man. I got to wear it. Blah, blah, blah It's like, you know, so because what was happening at that time was people were taking their uh, catalog, taking pictures of it, and then sticking it to a web page with the price and saying, call this number to order the stuff, right? So now comes Amazon, right? So the point is, it's all about personalization. It's all about, you know, when people come into an environment, in person or virtual, it doesn't matter. The point is, like, I want the event to revolve around me, not like the other way around, which is traditional events, which is sheep from one room to the other, like, you know, flock of sheep. So, but versus it should be like, this is who I am. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I want. Here's my first party, second party, third party data, which you already have, by the way. But you know what? Get more signals from my behaviors, please. And then give me just like Spotify gives me my music recommendations, just like Chipotle lets me personalize my you know, my sandwich, whatever I want. So the point is, it's just like that is the world we live in. So events are the same exact way. I mean, there is first party data, immense amount of first party data that we get from all the actions that people do inside the environment, you know, which we can really understand what they're looking for and then match them with people that they actually will find value in. So I think that's the biggest thing, right? So for me, it's not like buyers don't want to buy. They don't want to kiss a hundred frogs to find that prince or princess, that's how tedious that process is right now. So the goal is with all the data that surrounds their actions and their past actions, uh, you know, we can pull all that together and make the right matches so that people find value in those interactions, right? So that uh, that is how what I'm talking to my customers about. I'm showing them the possibilities of, you know, what can happen. And they're like, hmm. And then what is also happening is the conversation is moving away from just the event teams to the sales and marketing teams. The sales and marketing teams will normally come in after the event because then, then now they have a list of emails. They got to go and qualify, right? So, but now what I'm telling them, no, all that qualification happens during the event. And for the salesperson, you can actually act on it in real time. I will tell you out of those 5,000 people, which are the 50 that are most relevant for you because they've been doing all this activities in here. And here's a their, their calendar, why don't you book a meeting right now? Okay. So that is the level of where we need to go with this stuff. So once the sales and marketing people start getting involved during event itself, once real-time actions start happening, you know, what people will see the value and they'll be like, makes sense. Uh, You know, so, but until then I agree, it is still like the infancy of, of e-commerce, right? Everyone is like, nah, man, I, I have to do this in person. I mean, we did nearly twenty million dollars in sales in the last one year and never even shook hands with any of
0: those people. Okay, so the point is is like, come on, it's all good. This is the world has changed. I'm sorry, but it has. Yeah. I just did the thing yeah. where you pick out five pairs of eyeglass frames and they send them to you and you yeah. wear it for a week and then choose one and have them mm-hmm. make your glasses. And I never yeah, yeah. in a million years <laughs> would have thought I would have done that until this year.
1: Well, there you go. So I mean my son, he's six years old. All of last year, he was on Zoom doing his classes, right? So, I mean, if he can figure it out, oh my God, I mean, IB can't figure it out.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so explaining this sort of new world of events to your customers and prospects is is part of the equation. But the other part of the equation is... The attendees, there are those people who love that trip to Vegas because they mm-hmm. love slot machines and they want to get away from their kids for a few days, right? Mm-hmm. So how do you, look, I think we've seen the data that seems to suggest that event fatigue is real, um, mm-hmm. the virtual event fatigue. Yes. And uh, we know that the supply and demand of virtual events is all out of whack. Um, Mm -hmm. because now everyone is spinning up virtual events of all different kinds. What is your role as a vendor in the event space to convince the attendees that there's a better experience, that there's a better use of their time? Mm -hmm. that This is going to look different from what you're used to, even in the online event space, but it's better.
1: agree. Very good points, Michael. So a couple of things. The first question was around... um, just generally like, you know, uh, the event fatigue portion, right? So the point, uh, when was the last time you heard something called TikTok fatigue or Instagram fatigue? I mean, this is all bad content. It's nothing to do with Zoom fatigue or event fatigue. It's just really bad content. People are just slapping their one-hour PowerPoint session online. It doesn't work like that. Nobody has Netflix fatigue. It's called Netflix binging, right? So the point is, it's all about the content. Really? You know, so the point is like, people really need to understand that this is a different format. We have a captive audience when we have an event in person, because they're literally captive. They've flown in. They're going to stay there. They have nowhere to go. It's they're captive. And then even then they're bored. They're sitting on their devices. Like when is this guy going to be done? The point is now what we have instead now is an online audience, which has a thousand different things they can do. They're not captive but we have to create a captivating experience for them. And that really starts with good content. And I think the TED Talks are an amazing example of stuff done well for years. So cannot just take your same exact format, the same exact PowerPoint and slap it online and be like, oh man, is Zoom fatigue? No, nobody has TikTok fatigue. Nobody has Instagram fatigue. We sit there all day scrolling. Nobody's fatigued by that stuff. The point is, I'm not saying we can start doing TikTok 30 second videos, but actually in our platform, we do that. We have something called Hello World and everybody in their profile does a quick video just using their uh, microphone and their computer. And we're like, hi, my name's X, this is why I'm here, blah, blah, blah. And they can participate by doing a bunch of videos. So those become those 30 second TikTok style things inside the environment. So the goal is let's start thinking of this as a digital format. Let's start thinking of this as how can is digital done? And believe me, you don't need to reinvent. There's so many examples out there. We can follow TED Talks are the first one. So that's from a virtual event perspective of making it the experience better for the individual. But then on the other question you asked was like, well, a lot of people actually enjoy going to these events. So again, I'll say one more time, no, in-person events should never go away. But when you go to the in-person event, it should be the best use of your time. And you should be meeting the most relevant people, attending the most relevant sessions, deep dives, not just skimming the surface, you know. And a bunch of what do you do? That question should be pre-event. During event is like, hey man, loved your demo. What you did for us the other day. Here's the rest of my team. Let's talk about terms. You know, like that is what should happen in person. Um, I was in London for a week about two weeks ago, um, and this is a lot of my customers I had met virtually over the last year. Uh, we are working with the United Nations right now for their biggest climate change conference coming up in November. I mean, it's just like people who. Well, you know, they come from 100 plus countries, can, all those people. Um, a lot of them are government people. And they don't, they don't, for them, it's like, no, this is not how we do it. We go in person and we meet each other and we sign the agreements. But this year, we've done literally 40, 50 different series of events for them across the world where people from countries, I mean, where the internet probably just kind of came a few years ago, you know, and everybody's participating. So the point is, and but the November conference is a hybrid event. So the goal is, yes, do a lot of that pre-work. Amount of pre-work that the UN could do in the last few months, working with us and with these hundred-plus countries, is immense to prepare for this in-person hybrid conference. So I think it is that it is that fine balance about getting a lot of productive stuff done before the event. When you meet during the event, you're focusing on signing the deals, focusing on really cementing those relationships that you've built. Right. So that's the whole point there.
0: Yeah. When you talk to prospects. Who are you often talking to these days and like a, a vendor that's, you know, working on virtual events and how difficult is it for them internally in their organization to kind of preach the idea of a new take on events? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it is difficult uh, because again, everybody likes the status quo. Um, so we talk a lot to event teams, like the event, you know, person But then, as I said earlier, because of the tools that we have right now, we are also able to bring in some of the sales and marketing people to the table as well. Because we're like, hey, why don't you bring somebody from your marketing team because we can show them how we can do all this lead scoring in real time and actions in real time, blah, blah, blah. So the point is we get more of those people on the table as well. But the typical event organizer or event manager, because I did that for a while, has their whole year is a slew of events. They go from one to the other. Right. So the point is, and their uh, goals in most cases are butts in seats. How many attendees did you get is equal to how many email addresses can you pass on to marketing now? So changing their mind and saying, guys, you guys are the biggest expense item on the marketing budget. How about you become a profit center? and actually create deals inside your events versus creating email address lists, right? So that is a quantum change in their mind because they're like, I'm not going that way. I just need to get people here. Now the sales and marketing people after that figure out what to do with them and influence on deal and so forth, right? So the point is that's, that's yes, it is tough. It is challenging to get them to start thinking, no, you can actually create business at your event, you know, and why do you need to do only one event? You know, for this community, because you were limited to that because of physical infrastructure, booking the place and so forth. But no, you don't need to do that. You could do multiple small ones, you know? So it's just, uh, it's, it's a change, but it's happening very rapidly because they're also seeing the data that flows out of there and their, their importance in their companies is increasing because now they're saying, hey, here's the email list. And by the way, here's all the actions that they did. And here is, you know, some of the other stuff. They're like, oh, that's interesting. Here's some more budget, do more of this stuff. You know, so I think it's a change, Um, but all of them have had, I think, the last year and a half to sit and reflect because the events world is so fast paced that you never get a breather. But I think that the last year and a half has been amazing in terms of people reflecting on what's going on. And also the CFO side of the house is now saying, I want more ROI on these things because I was able to get more ROI in the last year and a half. So you're not going to get those crazy millions of dollars just to put big parties up in Vegas. Okay. So you got to give me more back. So I think it's, there's a change happening. Um, And for the ones who won't change um, they'll be forced into that in the next, you know, um, few years, hopefully.
0: There is a growing chorus of, marketing minds out there that say the biggest hurdle to making a sale is the change problem, change management, getting people to move away from the status quo. Mm -hmm. People know they have needs. We all know we have needs we don't address, but change is the real challenge for a lot of organizations. And you you just went there
1: in your answer. I agree, Michael. For us, the whole point is just the same way uh, Spotify came and disrupted, you know, the whole um, traditional Apple music story. It was changed, but really wasn't. The change has to be seamless. You have to just go there and be listening to your music and suddenly start getting recommendations. you are like, hmm, let me click on that one. You know, it has to be part of it. It's not like, well, we used to do it this way. Are we going to do it this way? That's not the game. The game is like, it has to just be embedded in there and just start to start, keep on slowly showing them the value, you know, on both sides, event organizer side, as well as, you know, the attendee side right? So the event organizer side, we're like, don't worry, you come and slap your, you know, one hour PowerPoints here. I'm not going to stop you from doing that. By the way, here is additional data beyond just your email list. They're like, "Mm, that's interesting. Oh, I could target these people for this other event I have, you know, and so you speak to them in their language Uh, from an attendee perspective, they're doing what they normally do. There's an agenda, there's a track, they click and add them to their agenda. They go and watch the session. But then those recommendations, you know, just like slowly come in there. It's like, hey, that you love this session. Maybe you will also like this one. And by the way, here's 10 people who match your areas of interest. You know, check them out. You know, so I think it's the subtle ways of being able to organically bring that change into the system versus do a hard, you know, change. that. nope, that's not the right way. This is the right way. It is bridging, you know, th- those two worlds together, but showing value as you go. Right. I think so. Again, I'm not trying to reinvent anything in here. This is the world we all live in. Uh, content is all consumed online. Yes, people like to go and do it in person, but 95% of our content we consume online, personal as well as business. Collaboration is mostly happening online, LinkedIn and so forth, right? Um, This how we meet people, networking, um, you know, and once we meet somebody on LinkedIn, we exchange some messages, maybe have a quick call, you want to have coffee with them. So I think the world will not change. It is just that we'll be able to have more relevant personal in-person experiences, So the goal is like, how can I create more value for your in-person experiences by doing some of this stuff virtually before that? So that is the world. I think we all will be hopefully seeing soon. yeah.
0: The question we ask almost everyone that appears on B2B Nation, what is your favorite tool? What is that one thing that you cannot work without and your productivity would come to a halt if we told you you couldn't use it?
1: (laughs) Well, uh, I would say it's otter, O-T-T-E-R dot A-I. Uh, I, I don't know if you know Michael Otter. It's uh, you amazing. are the
0: second guest in the past <laughs> couple months who has cited. Okay, Otter.
1: there you go. I love Otter completely. I mean, I've been with them since they just started, and uh, it's it's the best uh, voice to text transcription uh, ability to share that annotations, uh, keywords out of that. I mean, it's it's amazing. Uh, I do a lot of calls and stuff, and sometimes for notes purposes. I mean, you know. Uh, I like to talk as you can <laughs> gather. So the point is like, yeah, it helps me uh, keep my uh, my world together, yeah.
0: All right, Ike Singh Cahal. Thank you for appearing on B2B Nation.
1: Thank you so much, Michael. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thanks again to Ike Singh Cahal from Social 27 for joining us on this episode of B2B Nation. If you found this episode interesting or insightful, please share it with a friend and subscribe to B2B Nation on Apple, Google, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Many thanks to the team at Technology Advice, including Amy Dunn, Sarah Wingate, Emily Whalen, and KJ Pace. Here's Mnemonics in the Guild to wrap things up. We'll catch you next time on B2B Nation.